Well, if you turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 9 this morning. The title of our series is One Another, Selfless Living in a Selfish World. And really, we've come to the epicenter of this series. We've come to the very place where the, the message that God has for us in these last nine weeks really takes full form because today, today's message, servanthood, true greatness, is just at the core of what Jesus is saying to us. Servanthood, true greatness. That's the title of the message, Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. Mark 9, 30 to 37. Servanthood, true greatness. And let me, let me set the context for this passage that we're going to be reading. Jesus has, <clears throat> he's just given the first passion prediction. The first passion prediction. That was in chapter 8. And he's now giving the second passion prediction. And right here we're going to be reading, he's going to predict his own passion, his death on the cross. And then in chapter 10, he's going to give the third passion prediction. And it's interesting, when he gives these three passion predictions, the disciples typically don't get it. They don't understand the saying. And then Jesus teaches them. Last week, we benefited from what he taught them last week. Do you remember what he taught them in, in Mark ten forty five? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so last week was servanthood. Gospel-centered servanthood. And this week's message, servanthood, true greatness. He's going to give them a second message. After he predicts his passion, his death, after they don't get it, he's going to sit down and he's going to teach them. And he's going to teach us. So let's read the text. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. That's what I meant. Mark, chapter 9, beginning in verse 30. Mark 9, 30. They went from there and passed through Galilee. So they're they're walking with Jesus, doing ministry. So they're walking along. And he did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying, here's the second passion prediction. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Look at verse 32. But they did not understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. Now here's why they were afraid to ask him. Verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, this was probably Peter's house. Peter lived in Capernaum, so they were walking, doing ministry. They're going to now go to Peter's house and rest, and Jesus is going to teach them. So, and when he was in the house, he asked them, Hey guys, where were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. There was a reason for their silence. For on the way, they had, been, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Yeah, we're all there, right? Obviously, they did not understand the the saying. Verse 35, and here's the teaching. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Direct opposition to what they had been arguing about. Just direct opposition to all the world teaches about true greatness. And he took a child. Now, he gives them a living illustration. And he took a child. 
and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Friends, here we need to pray to understand the saying and the implications of the saying. So let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that you would please let us understand what the disciples did not understand. Lord, they have an excuse. It was prior to the cross. The cross was veiled. It even says in this text, you were trying to keep it secret to everyone but your disciples. Lord, we are seeing it after the cross. And yet we so often don't understand, Lord. And we walk around, whether actually with our mouths or in our hearts, discussing and arguing, who's the greatest? And Oh, Lord, forgive us. And teach us again. Sit with us. Oh, thank you. As Jose shared, you're here with us. There is a special way in which you are with your people when they congregate. And we trust you. Oh, Lord, banish all distractions this morning. Lord, grip every mind. Oh, grip every heart. Lord, Lord, grip our lives. So that they might be lived for you. Selfless living. Oh, Lord, in a selfish world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I want to introduce to you a living illustration of this passage. And it's coming in the form of a video. So if someone could please hit the lights, whoever does the lights the way we do it for the worship. Thank you. And um, this video is going to highlight three people. I have asked their permission, so they won't be shocked. One is Ressy Manahan. Uh, one is, is Nestor Quiroz. His wife isn't in the video, but... His wife, Maite, as well. And the other one is Marcos Gonzalez and his wife, Becky. So watch this brief video. It's about four minutes long. And then I'll I'll come back with the sermon.
Thank you. Resi is an amazingly kind, compassionate, godly, serving woman. She shines in, as an example of true greatness at Palm Vista. Marcos and Becky, and by the way, Marcos is now interpreting for me right now. That's why he's not seated over there. So he's serving yet again behind the scenes. Marcos and Becky are another outstanding example of servanthood, among many examples of servanthood here at Palm Vista. They, they have lived a lifestyle of being last of all and servants of all. I, I, was, I was laughing to myself when his mom, Sanya, moved. He asked for volunteers to help her move. She didn't have much. Half the church showed up. The reason? Because he had helped half the church move over the last 14 years. So we were all just paying him back. And Nestor and Maite Kiros, Nestor and Maite have been leading our children's ministry. They're not here either. I think they're back in children's ministry. Uh, They've been leading our children's ministry for six years. Uh, They, along with the Herreros and the Mendezes, have dedicated themselves and their families to serve our children. The very example that Jesus uses in our text. You see, Resi, the Gonzaleses, the Quiroses, the Herreros, the Mendezes, and many of you are, are men and women who have lived out Jesus' message to us all from this text. And what's that message? Here's the message of the text. Here's the main point. Put others first as servants of all. Put others first as servants of all. You see, they, they understand Christ's saying. And it leads them to put others first as servants of all. Christ's life, his death, his resurrection leads them to live selfless lives in a selfish world. That's the difference. Nestor would tell you, that's the difference in his life. When he first met Marcos, he was living a selfish life in a selfish world. And when Christ called him through the example, the servanthood of, of, of our brother Marcos, who understood the saying of Christ that he had to die and raise from the dead for Marcos, then God was able to use that in Nestor's life and draw him to himself. See, this is why this text is at the very center of our series. One another, selfless lives in a selfish world. Verse 35 of our text, look at it again, is key. It's key to our lives. It's the implication of understanding the saying that Jesus gave them, that he was going to die for them. The implication for our lives is verse 35. If we want to be first, and who doesn't want to be first? If we want to be first, then we must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus comes and turns the world's wisdom upside down. This is true greatness, according to our Lord. Like Resi and the Gonzaleses and Quiroses and Herreros and Mendezes, we must all understand Christ's saying and its implications for our lives. So, what is this saying of Christ? What do we need to understand about this saying? Point one, understand the saying. Understand the saying. Look at verses 30 and 34 again with me, please. Mark 9, 30 and 34. They went from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know. Know what? Here we go, verse 31. For he was teaching his disciples, saying, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. 
and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. So the disciples are returning. They're returning to Capernaum. They're going to be hanging out in Peter's house. And Jesus is giving them the saying. Now remember, he's giving them this saying already once before. Now turn, turn just briefly, turn to Mark 8. Look at verse 31. Previous chapter. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. There it is. There's the saying. And he said this plainly. So he he had already given it to them before. (laughs) And they didn't get it. Because what does Peter do? He takes him outside and he begins to rebuke Jesus. Now we know what Jesus did. He turned Seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. So so here, back in, in, in Mark 9, 30 to 34, he's giving them the saying. He's giving them the saying that God the Father is going to deliver God the Son, a willing God the Son, God the Son who is willingly being delivered into the hands of evil men because... And we'll find this out in chapter 10. He didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But they didn't understand it. Look at verse 32. They simply did not understand it. 932. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. The ESV study Bible is very helpful right here at this place. I just want to, I want to read to you what it says. It's, it's really, it's, it's an outstanding point here. The ESV study Bible says the following. The disciples understand neither the necessity of the Messiah's death, they still expect a political liberator, nor the idea of the resurrection of an individual. See, they expect the resurrection of mankind at the last judgment. Yet they understand enough of what Jesus is saying that they do not want to know more. So they are afraid to ask him. Perhaps they remember that Peter's earlier attempt to express disapproval of Jesus' predictions of suffering led to a harsh rebuke. No one wants to get rebuked. They're all street smart here. We still don't get it, but we remember how Peter got rebuked. So Jesus waits. He waits till they get to Peter's house. So he's going to instruct them now in the house privately on what his death and what his resurrection means for them. And and he, he begins his instruction by asking them what they had been discussing on the way. He knew what they'd been discussing on the way. His question does not come out of ignorance, but rather it's a diagnostic question. It's a question designed to get them to think His question, however, was met with silence. Why silence? Because the disciples had been discussing which one of them was the greatest. Their discussion reveals their ignorance of Jesus saying, his mission, his character, his kingdom. See, they were thinking that Jesus came to establish a top-down political empire. You see, first century Judaism saw the Messiah primarily as a king politically to restore Israel and the nation of Israel, and throw the Romans out. And of course, 
If he's going to be elected president, I want to be his right-hand man. Guys, that's what they were arguing about. I mean, how patient is our God? We, we spoke of, 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 of mercy being the scent of love. Can you imagine walking on the dusty trails through Galilee and Jesus hearing his disciples absolutely not get it for miles after he had rebuked Peter previous in chapter 8. And they still won't get it because he's going to have to teach him again in chapter 10. But what does he do? Does he turn and yell at them? Does he turn and does he say, what's wrong with you guys? No, this is what he does. In every one of these passion predictions, Jesus, he gives the saying, they don't understand it, and then he teaches them. Oh, friends, that's what he's doing this morning for us. He's going to give us the saying yet again, the old, old story, the gospel. May we never grow weary and tired of listening to it. And then he's going to teach us. He's going to teach us. He's going to teach us. What did he teach them? In chapter 8, he taught them that if they want to be his followers, rather than getting ready for their new office in Congress, rather than getting their budgets ready for the limousine that's going to take them around, metaphorically speaking, Israel, rather than getting ready how they're going to handle all this fame and fortune and all the servants they're going to have, he says to them, what does he say to them in eight, chapter 8? Do you remember? Take up your cross and follow me. It's like, what are you talking about? Take up my cross? That's where the criminals, that's where the last, that's where the thieves, that's where the ones that are rejected die. No, 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 no. Take up my office, my new chariot. Take up my nice new clothes. No, no, no. Take up your cross. And here, what does he teach them? He teaches them. He teaches them this. You want to be first? Which one of you wants to be first? You, Thomas, you want to be first? Peter, obviously, you want to be first? Good. Doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be first. But you know what he says to them? Look at verse 35. Look at verse 35. You want to be first. If anyone would be first, he must be last. He must be last of all and servant of all. He turns everything on its head. He looks looks forward to chapter 10, verse 35, when yet again they did not get it. If you remember in chapter 10, I didn't have a chance to preach this, but they were arguing again. You know what they were arguing about in chapter 10? Do you remember? James and John had got their mom to come, and they wanted to see if they could be on the right and left-hand side of Jesus in his kingdom. Talk about not getting it. And so everybody was getting mad at James and John. And that's when Jesus steps in. And the very uh, verse, the chapter that Zeke read in worship, Mark 10, 42 to 45, which ends in the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's the point. Do we understand the saying? Do you understand the saying? Oh, if you're here today and you are not a believer, do you understand that God sent his son and his son came willingly to die for you on a cross, not to take the first place, the highest place to rule from on high, but to take the last place. Last week we talked about Jesus washing feet. If you weren't here, we talked about this fact that only 
Only really a Gentile slave was allowed to wash feet. It was scandalous what Jesus did at the Last Supper. It wasn't cute. It wasn't some religious thing. It wasn't something you do to pretend you're humble. It was scandalous. And Jesus saying, as I washed your feet, not literally, metaphorically, so you wash others. Take the lowest position. It was a position not even a Hebrew slave would do. And it shocked them. It shocked them. And, and that's, that's what he's saying here. Because I, because I came to die on the cross for you, oh dear unbelieving one this morning, I'm calling you, yes, to repent and give your life. I'm calling you to get off your throne and and, and come to me who am lowly. And dear believer, dear believer, for you, I appeal to you, understand the saying yet again, yet again, when you're being mistreated, when you're not being appreciated, when you're not, uh, your acts are not being celebrated. Oh, remember this. Jesus was delivered into the hands of evil men for you, for you, for you, because because he put you first and served you. Isn't that what scripture says? Greater love has no end than this, that he laid down his life for someone else. Jesus did not preserve his life. He laid it down because he did that for you. He calls you to do that for others. Let me be very clear here. When we understand this saying and its implications for our lives, when we understand that we now have favor with God, not based on what we do, but what Jesus did, then, then, and only then can we follow Jesus' example to put others first as servants of all. That's God's call on our lives. And that's point two of the message. Put others first as servants of all. Verses 35 to 37. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone should be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. That is so radical. Just think about that for a second. And he took a child and put them in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. See, Jesus sits down. And now he's going to teach them. Remember, we had these three passion predictions. Chapter 8, passion prediction. Jesus opposes them, rejects. uh, Peter opposes him, rejects Peter, comes against Peter, and then teaches them. Chapter 9, Passion Prediction. They don't understand it. They're talking about who's going to be greatest. Now he's teaching them. Chapter 10, Passion Prediction. Um, James and John want to be on the right and left-hand side. Yeah. Uh, Do you think it's a throne, James and John? Well, let me tell you. If you want to be on my right and left-hand side, those are two crosses there for you. Oh, well, let me rethink that one. And then he teaches them, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So here, he, he sits down and he teaches the disciples. He's leading the way. As I said before, I I wash your feet. He's going to do that later because that's the most menial task. I come not to be served, 
but not to, to, to be served, but to serve. Let, let's, just, let's just look look back at Mark 8, 34-36 to, to kind of buttress this teaching of being last of all and servant of all. Look what it says here, Mark 8, 34. After he rebukes Peter, So, do, do you see the similarity? Look at Mark eight thirty four. If anyone would come after me, turn back to Mark nine thirty five. If anyone would be first, do you see that? If anyone would come after me, if anyone would be first, it links these two passages. Hence, I think it's appropriate to bring this in at this point. If anyone would come after me, Mark eight thirty four b. So he calls the crowd to him at the first part of Mark 8, 34, and with his disciples, and then he's teaching them, because they don't get it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever would lose his life for my sake and the gospels would save it. For what does it profit a man if he, to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Oh, friends... We spend our lives trying to save our lives. Do what we want to do. Get money, possession, things, popularity, fame, status, comfort. And Jesus is saying, this is not the way to life. It's not those things. It's me. Because I came to give my life for you. Do you understand the setting? Thinking back to Mark 9, 35, I love this quote from William Lane. I believe we have the quote there. In his commentary on Mark, he says the following. The question of precedence, other words, who's first, was resolved on the authority of Jesus. He who wishes to be first must determine to be the servant of all. This surprising reversal of all human ideas of greatness and rank is a practical application of the great commandment of love for one's neighbor and a reaffirmation of the call to self-denial, which is the precondition for following Jesus. Parentheses. Chapter 8, verse 34, where the formulation, whoever wishes to come after me, is parallel to whoever wishes to be first. See, friends, remember we talked about at the beginning of this series, love one another is really the main message, and then everything else is flowing from love one another. What does it look like to love one another? Forgive. What does it smell like to love one another? Have mercy. And what does love do? It serves. Gospel-centered service. Today, I I love what William Lane says here. You see? This reversal of all human ideas of greatness, true greatness, true greatness is simply a practical application of the great commandment of love for one's neighbor. The greatest of all is the last of all and the servant of all. When he, when he asks this question, do you want to be great? In verse 35, if anyone would be first. If anyone would be first, well, of course we want to be first. I, I flew to Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. You know the drill. You're sitting there in the, in the waiting room. You look down on your boarding pass, and you realize you have no hope on this flight. You may not even get in. Forget about your luggage. 
you're in zone four, the dreaded zone four. Everybody gets on the plane. Maintenance guys get on the plane, okay? Before you do. But what's, you know what's so funny? Everybody wants to be first. When Jesus says, if anyone wants to be first, as soon as they say, we will begin boarding this flight, like a mass of humanity runs to the gate. Old ladies are just smashing people in the head. It's like, okay, we all have seating uh, arrangements and zones. But it's funny. It's just in us, isn't it? I mean, if you're at the light, if you're the fifth car back, you want to be the first car. If you're in line and the guy in front of you just starts taking more time, you just, you're tapping your foot. You want to be first. You want to be served. I, I had another, uh, in the flight, by the way, of course, if you're in zone four, you know that your carry-on is not going to get in the, in the overhead bins. You know it's the dreaded walk of shame. You're walking with your carry-on. The guy, you know, the ninja, you know, ticket agent guy with his little cute vest, you know, jumps out. He's now going to exercise authority probably for the first time in his life and say, that carry-on is not going on that plane. You know, and there are wars and people are screaming, nah, nah, nah. It gets tagged, it gets put down those stairs, and you know you never see it again. <laughs> but we want to be first, don't we? Have you ever seen anybody say, you know what, ma'am? I have zone one, first class. Why don't you take that? I'll take your zone four that sits in the toilet, okay? I just... <laughs> don't do that. Jesus, Jesus says, you know what true greatness is? We say true greatness is... Yeah, and then when you get in the plane, you're walking through first class just giving guys dirty looks. Not that I would ever do this, but sometimes your backpack accidentally hits him in the head as you're going by. Excuse me, sir. I didn't mean to to disturb the champagne you're drinking there. Like a little plastic cup with water from the water fountain, you know. Um, Look, look, I I just want to confess to you. I'm a... I'm a big sinner in this area. And, and recently, I've blamed it on my age, which is so bogus, but recently, I had crazy thoughts. Crazy thoughts. Let me, let me share with you a crazy thought. We're still on this point, if anyone wants to be first, because I'm going to come back to that. But I took, we took Joey to Barry University to meet with some financial advisors and get a tour of the school and everything. And, you know, Barry's a nice place. They're graduates, you know. They've, they've done well. And so there happened to be a graduate that came with their son. And we, we all, we're all disciples, right? You're looking over at him thinking, who's greatest here? Uh, his shoes are greater than mine. <laughs> his, his clothing is greater than mine. I don't even have a watch. Man, that's a nice watch. You know, so we're just doing that. We're just taking inventory, aren't we? Especially in Miami. We're just so status-driven, guys. The car, the... It's funny, I even thought, I wonder which car is theirs out there. <laughs> you know? So when we're done with the tour, we're seated. And they say, um, the financial advisor will be with you in a moment. So the financial advisor comes out. He looks at everybody. He looks at us. There's just two of us, you know. And he chooses the other people first. And I thought, I knew it. I knew it. They could tell I don't have much. <laughs> I'm going to have to wait now. They're going to sit there and talk for five hours. I was just like... I, I just, I stopped. This was, was all going in my head. I went, oh Lord, I'm preaching on this next Sunday. Well, I'm preaching on the next Sunday because I'm preaching to me. 
Because I want to be first. But if you want to be first, you want to lead, Jesus says, then you lead the way I lead. I am now going to be last. I am first. I am preeminent. I am the Son of God, the preexistent second person of the Trinity. I am God. And I will now wash your feet like a Gentile slave. And I will die naked on a cross for you. Do you understand the saying? They didn't. And we often still don't. But he patiently teaches us. Man, you want to be first? Yeah, you're the heads of your household. And be last and servant of all. This is a metaphor. I learned it in the army. Be the first one up and the last one to bed. You be the last one that eats. We were taught, your troops eat first. If there's no more food, then you go hungry. Because you lead. And I believe that is some part of our Judeo-Christian upbringing in this country, which we're fast losing. But Jesus modeled that. He is the greatest. He's first. Lord of lords, king of kings. And he made himself last. This is the implication. This is why they didn't want to ask him. And then he illustrates it by grabbing a child. Friends, this was not a cutesy Mr. Rogers moment. This was first century Judaism. Children were the last. You didn't even acknowledge children. Remember they tried to rebuke him when people tried to bring children to Jesus? So he's making his point, just like he would make his point when he washes his feet. And the ultimate point is, I'm going to go do the ultimate becoming last. That's taking God's wrath on the cross. But listen, let me teach you. He grabs this child into his arms. Why did he do that, guys? Verse 36. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in the midst of them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Why did he do that? Here's why. In that culture, you would not think of children. So if you're going to be last of all, then the person that you can serve that would, most, that would best exemplify you taking up the last position is a child. Now, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. But Jesus knew that. It was the culture. He understand where these men were coming from. They were men in first century Israel. They were Jews in first century Israel. And he knew how to get to them. He knew how to illustrate a sermon perfectly. And he takes that child and they go, what are you doing? Why waste time with the child? Because this is it. If you serve this, what does the child represent? He represents everybody in your life that's lowly, that you think isn't cool, youth. Everybody that you think doesn't have a whole lot. We all want to get to talk to the rich guy that's got a lot, or the famous guy we all want his autograph. Why? Jesus says, you go find the lowly one that no one can see. Represented by this child, you go serve them happily in obscurity. Listen, that's why I chose these illustrations of Resi and Nestor and Marcos. Because right now, I mean, practical application. I believe a word from the Lord. You know, how do we feel when we get called and said, you've got nursery duty next week? Are we rejoicing? Or we see the roster. Someone emails the roster. What's the first thought in your head? Oh, man, I'm going to miss the message. One of Al's great messages. That's a joke. 
I was kidding. I'm going to have to hold that one child that all they do is cry. And when they cry, the, 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 the stuff comes out of their nose all over me. If you're like me, no, please, no diapers. Oh, Lord. You know, just stop all movements here in anybody's body for this hour. Here's the question for you. Here's the question for application in all seriousness. Do you say glory to God? Is there enthusiasm in your heart? I get to serve people that that will not say thank you at the end. No one will know I'm here. It's hard work. I'm tired. I'd rather just veg and sit there in the chair and listen to someone talk to me. I'm going to have to be preparing. And those of you who are teachers, even more so. And you do it and thank you. But this is true greatness. Instead of seeking status by serving the greatest, we should seek obscurity by serving those who really don't have much to give back to us. I, th- I, think, I think, ladies, whether you are, at a st- you are a stay-at-home mom or whether you work all day and you come home and you're caring for their, your kids. Ladies, this is not just your call. I'm going to get to the men in a moment. But there's something about a mother's heart. And you, ladies, you, you, there's, you represent God to us. There is a mother heart of God, so to speak. Paul talks about caring for them as a mother a nursing mother. They're, they're, when you are nursing your child, when you're caring for your child, when you're laying down with your life for your child, you are truly great. You're great. We honor you. That's what he's saying here. Because, because I now have status with God through Jesus, I don't need to seek status from anyone else. So I can take the lowest place. Because Jesus took the lowest place. That's what he's saying. Hendrickson, in his commentary, I don't have the quote for you to read, but just listen. Jesus is telling his disciples to forget all about rank, preeminence, prominence. Instead, they should concentrate their attention on the needs of one. Anyone. Even just one of such little ones, for example. The child which Jesus is now holding in his arms or any similar one, they should welcome such a child in Christ's name. And doing this, they, are, they will be welcoming the child or anyone, listen, who, is, who in his weakness, need, and humble dependence resembles a child for Christ's sake. Who is that in your life? Who is that in your life? That's the question for application. Friends, such is the essence of true greatness. The greatness that reflects the same quality which in an infinite degree resides in God. This is one of those communicable attributes of God. He communicates this to us. Go serve. Whom are you serving? I know the youth, I think, were not able to do this yesterday because of the weather. Um, Well, I thought a hurricane had blown in yesterday. Uh, But because of the rains, I believe they didn't do it. But they were going to serve Heartbeat of Miami, which is a... Forget what you guys call them these days. It's not a crisis pregnancy center. What do they call them these days? Jeannie, you run it. Life? I love it. It's a life-affirming center. Jeannie runs it here in Hialeah. They were going to serve to raise funds and wash cars. I thought, wow. Where are you serving? I, I, I think of the, of the singles, many of the singles, and I, 
Risha comes to mind. There's a few others I know. Rebecca. There's others, Samantha, that have, have, have answered the call that David and Melinda put out to come and help with the youth and maybe mentor in a good way. You know, the parents are number one. We're never wanting to take the parents' place. But godly examples, particularly for some of these ladies, of a godly woman who's been to university and has been and is well-educated and, and has maybe got a job here, but, but her heart... Her heart is for God and the church, and she's walking in purity. And these ladies give up their Friday nights. You heard about Resi. I, I think of the single men that have helped me with my son. I, I always, if I leave your name out, forgive me. Well, you get to serve in obscurity. But I think of men like Nathan, Nathan, Patrick, those names come to mind. David, certainly. Son-in-law. It just served my son, a younger man, especially like four or five years ago. And they're just serving. Fathers, I, I thank you for serving. We've been talking about manning up at home. Let me tell you the bottom line to manning up. You want to be first? It doesn't mean you come home, get in your easy chair, and your wife serves you a tea, and you put on Sports Center. And I know you know that. I'm not speaking down to you, men. Please hear that. That would be my temptation. Maybe not tea, something else. And, uh, but if, if, if we want to be first, if we're the head, that means we're the last. Do you see that in the text? If anyone would be first, he must be last of all. Thank you, men. You know, what, you know what's epidemic in our culture today? I have a heart for this city. Listen, I have a heart for this city, all of it. All of it. My heart beats for Opalaka. I weep over Opalaka. I can't drive through there without weeping. I didn't grow up in a culture like that. But God loves them. He loves those we might consider less. And shame on us. Shame on me. Because I've got... We all have in our minds. God wants to reach our city. And the way he's going to reach our city is as we serve the lowly. As we were served. As we give up our lives. As we lay down our lives. As we lay down what we want to do. To answer God's call. So thank you, single men. Thank you, fathers. Single ladies. Can I say, you're amazing. Corey shared this with me as he was helping me with this message. The opportunity for greatness is found in smallness. I love that. That's a great quote. The opportunity for greatness is found in smallness. I'll never forget when Corey was preaching on serving one time, he brought up this illustration. I bring it up because it happened to me on Monday. He said he, was, he got out of his car and he was in a hurry. And he was in a parking lot. And so he, he said, oh, look, there's a cart. Why don't I just go over there and get it and bring it to the front? He, you know, there was, you know, those battles, those little battles, like, I'm in a hurry, right? I don't have time for the cart. Well, I was in Costco. Yeah, Costco, it's not, it's not a parking lot for cars. It's a parking lot for carts. Because no one has this mentality at Costco. You know, these carts are like the size of Winnebago's, you know? And when people finish unloading them, they don't just leave them. They don't, they don't just push them. They put them right in the parking spot. So when you go to Costco, there's parking spots, but they're all filled with carts, I I thought, what an illustration of the world's way of thinking. 
We as Christians should park our shopping carts, even when it takes extra time. Did I do it? Yes. <clears throat> this time. But there have been times I haven't. I've actually like, driven my car and pushed the cart out of the thing. <laughs> ah, your laughter, your laughter betrays you right there. Here's the question for application as we wind this down. Do you understand the saying that Jesus Jesus was delivered into the hands of evil men and they killed him for you? And on the third day he rose from the dead. And do you live a life? Do you live a life that puts others first as servant of all? Are you developing the little habits It's the little things, guys. As Corey said, the opportunity for greatness is found in smallness. These little opportunities that come in our day to humble ourselves, to serve in seemingly small and obscure circumstances. And people, children, serve your your parents. Parents serving your children, serving in the nursery, doing it with excitement and enthusiasm. Stopping, taking time. Small things. At home. Putting the top on a container, filling the the jug of water instead of putting it back in the refrigerator empty. Um, You fill in the blank. Not necessarily these huge things, it's the habit and small things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that this morning, Lord, you've taught us. We heard the saying... And for some of us, we might have said, well, yeah, I got that. It's the gospel thing again, right? Jesus died for me. Okay, rose from the dead. Got it. No, we don't get it. Because we keep talking about who's the greatest when we leave church. (laughs) And we keep getting irritated when people shove us out of the way. And we resent being asked to be last of all when we want to be first of all. And we murmur and complain, at least I do. And Lord, I just want to say, thank you for your patience with me. Jesus, thank you that you came not serving yourself, but you came to serve me. You're elect, and it's not because I earned it. I didn't. I earned the opposite, your wrath. But you give me your love because Jesus served us. He became last of all and servant of all, and he calls us to serve. Lord, this is not easy. It goes against everything in us from the flesh But it is part of our new nature. We are Christians, Christ-like ones. We are followers of Christ. And so, oh Christ, come and help us. Fill us with your spirit afresh and anew. May we be filled with the spirit, controlled by the spirit, in the everyday little ways that we can serve. That's our prayer. That's my prayer for my friends. It's certainly my prayer for myself this morning. And as we do, oh God, God, we have a heart for this city. I have a heart for Opalaka. I have a heart for Miami Lakes and Hialeah, Pembroke Pines and Miramar and Westchester and Carroll City and, 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 and beyond, Lord, Dade and Broward counties, the areas where we could most likely are going to be reaching, Lord. We have a heart for the city. We have a heart for the city because you came not to be served, but to serve. And we have a heart to see the gospel move out. And we realize that it is, it is our hands. It is our feet. It, it, it's our mouths that will communicate this. So we put ourselves in this place, last of all servant of all. Help us, Lord. 
Just take a moment. Just pray to the Lord. Let, let this sink in. Don't move on mentally. Zeke's just going to play softly in the background. Just think about this for a moment. To help you think about it. We're going to sing a song. Zeke alluded to it previously. It's called Surrender All. And if we could please put verse 2 up. Of Surrender All. I just want to bring one thing to your attention. The lyric in verse 2. Goes this way. Take all my cravings. For vain recognition. This is what the disciples were doing as they were walking from Galilee to Capernaum, discussing who was the greatest, and we all do it. So this is our prayer. Lord, take all my cravings for vain recognition, fleshly indulgence, and worldly ambition. It's interesting. Vain recognition, status-seeking, fleshly indulgence, they're all cousins. They all live in the same house. They work together. Now here's God's teaching. Here's Christ's teaching. In that verse 2, second part of verse 2. I want so much, Lord, to make you the focus, not myself. To serve you in secret and never be noticed. That's what Jesus taught them. That's what he did. Let's stand and sing this song, Surrender All, as our prayer to the Lord.